And so this morning, I want to share with you a bit about the Easter story and uh, maybe from a perspective you've never thought to look at it from because many of us, if you're not familiar with the Easter story, we kind of know the gist of it, um, the tomb, the angels, the risen Lord. We kind of know that. And, um, but there's parts of the story, I think, for some of us, if we were to look at the story in its totality, I'm sure some of us may, might have missed some of the things that, that happened after the resurrection. Because sometimes we look at the day of crucifixion and the three days and the resurrection and we say, hallelujah, praise God for that. But then what happens after the resurrection is just as important um, for us moving forward. It's not as important as the resurrection because the resurrection is the whole reason why we can say, God, we have eternal life through you because you've come back from the grave. And how many of you know that we should be thankful for his death on the cross and resurrection? Amen. And so how many of you guys like movies? Anybody like movies in here? If you guys don't raise your hand, that's fine. But those of you who raise your hand, I'm not going to ask what kind of movies you like because to each their own. But how many of you are people that like to stay after the movie to see if there's anything after the credits? Anybody do that? Is it just me? Or like you're the post-credit movie watcher. You're like, I know there's something after the credits. I'm going to wait here, even though everybody's filing out. So we went to watch a movie this past weekend, and my son is like, Dad, we got to stay for the post-credits. I'm like, do you know if there's anything afterwards? He goes, no, but I think there might be because it's Batman and Superman. So you better, you think, so I don't think, so I look on the internet, I go, there's nothing. Let's get out of here, right? It's easy to look up on the net and go, there's no post-credit thing. So we left. But you know what? If you were to tell the Easter story in movie form, if the Easter story was a movie, how would you end the story? How would you want the story to end? How would you end it? I would say you would end it on a high note, wouldn't you? You would end it on something positive, something that, that is uplifting. And if you look at the book of John, when it, it tells us the Easter story. And the book of John is interesting because after chapter 20, there's a chapter 21, if you guys didn't know. There's 21 chapters in the book of John. And the 21st chapter of the book of John, to me, is like that post-credit scene. It's like John 20 was where Thomas, or some of you know him as Doubting Thomas, came by and said, Lord, if it's really you, let me feel the, the, the piercings. Let me feel the holes. And Jesus appeared to his disciples and his followers uh, before that. And the first time he appeared to them, Thomas wasn't there. The second time, Thomas was there. And so Thomas was like, wow, I get to touch the the hands of Jesus and actually feel where, the, where he gets pierced. And I would have ended it on that because that's a high note. Like, wow, Christ showed himself. He, he revealed himself to Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas was, to me, the, 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 one of the big story elements. Like, if this guy would believe, then maybe I could believe. But John 21 is like after the credits roll. Now, there's this last scene where we deal with this other disciple named Peter. And the reason why it's, it's a post-credit scene to me is because, you know, the post-credit scene leads you to the next movie in that series or the next upcoming movie, like say it's X-Men or whatever, and you go, oh, they're going to introduce that character in the next movie? Well, the book of Acts introduces Peter and his ministry, and, and Jesus wanted us to see this snippet of Peter in John chapter 21 because it sets up the whole book of Acts, and of course, he goes on to write two other books. You want to guess what those books are? It's not very hard. It's named after him. First and second, Peter, right? So <laughs> we got to brush up on our Bible here, okay? He wrote two other books, first and second, Peter. And he told us a lot about his walkings and, and talkings with the Lord. But this story, this post-credit scene is where we're going to pick it up. We're going to pick up where Peter and Jesus encounter each other. And it's going to be something I think would encourage you. It will give you a different perspective on the Easter story, I believe. And I think it pertains to us in 2016. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you another question because I'm just full of questions this morning. How many of you like comeback stories? Anybody like the comeback story? Like, who likes the movie Rocky? Anybody likes the movie Rocky? Yes. All you 80s and 90s children, you remember Rocky? Oh, Adrian, right? The mean Russian, BA, uh, uh, Mr. T playing that, that, that other, you know, see, and then the other guy, Trevor, Trevor Lang played by Mr. T, and then Trevor Lang, Trevor Lang, whatever the guy's name is, and the other guy, 
But nothing could be the angry Russian, man. That Russian was pretty scary to me. Or, or how about the movie Rudy? Rudy, Rudy. 7 o'clock, 8.30, all chanted with me. Only 10.30 didn't chant with you. What's up, 8? Let's try it again. Rudy, Rudy. Okay, good. You guys are awake. Good, good, good. It's the main thing. I'm not preaching to a bunch of dead people here. Okay, we're awake this morning. But you, you think about movies and how... If you do top, the study of the top five movie stories, it's always the comeback story that, that people love to gravitate towards. It's, it's someone that starts off, you get to like them. And you go, wow, I connect with that character. And then something happens to them. Oh, no, are they going to make it? And you think, what's going to happen to this guy? And all of a sudden, dun, da, 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 their life turns around or someone comes in and rescues them. For you ladies, it's a knight in shining armor, rescues the princess kind of deal, right? For the men, it's like, yeah, you... Give it to those bad guys, right? It's two different genres. And, but we always like that comeback story. And I want to entitle our talk to you this morning. It is a Resurrection Sunday message. And I want to, want to entitle my talk with you this morning, The Comeback Story. The Comeback Route, actually. The Comeback Route. Turn to your neighbor and tell him my title. It's The Comeback Route. Tell him to your neighbor. Back route. It's The Comeback Route. And I'm going to show you in Scripture where Jesus has Peter on a comeback route. And just like Jesus has Peter on a comeback route, some of you are on that comeback route. Some of you have been on that comeback route. And, and, and can, be, can I be honest with you? Some of you will be on a comeback route if you haven't been there, been there already. Meaning life throws things at you, doesn't it? Things that you don't expect, things that you may not plan to do. But how do you come back after those? How do we come back after going through something where life this deals with something we're not ready to deal with. Maybe you got a diagnosis. Maybe you got a pink slip. Maybe your spouse is giving you an ultimatum. Maybe their parents has given you, maybe your parents have given you something to think about, do this or else. As long as you live under this roof, you will. You know, life throws things at us, and the question is how will we come back? How do we bounce back? How do we find a comeback route? And John 21 talks a little bit about Peter and his comeback route. Now, it says this in John 21, verse 1. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two, other, two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. You know, if you know anything about Simon Peter, Simon Peter is one of the disciples that was like, he appointed himself as the spokesman for the group of disciples. He, he had this disease called the foot and mouth disease. Anybody ever contract that disease? You say something you should have said, insert foot into mouth. You wish you could have retracted what you said. But Peter was always the first to respond. He had an emotional bent to him. He was he didn't filter very well. He just said it, and he just apologized later on. You know what I mean? Anybody like that in this room? Don't raise your hand. Don't nudge your spouse. We all know someone like that, and, and I'm like that too at times. And, and Peter is the one that says, well, I'm going fishing, guys. After Jesus rose from the dead, he did show himself twice to us, but I still i am not sure if I want to continue on in, in my faith. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. And you know when you look at the study of this this, this simple phrase, I'm going to go fishing. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but there's, there's scholars and Bible study teachers who teach a few perspectives of this phrase. And it might apply to you. So I'm going to just throw them out there. And if it applies to you, maybe you would write something down and the Lord would work on that part of you. But when it says, I'm going fishing, what does he mean? Well, maybe he, in his mind, is just saying, I got to do what I got to do. Anybody ever say that in their life? I just got to do what I got to do, right? Like Peter's like, yeah, the Christ rose. I don't know where he's at now, but I got to make a living. I got to do what I got to do. Remember, his living before was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. Now he's like, I just got to do what I got to do in the meantime. And I've been there. And how many of you know that sometimes when you do what you got to do, you wish you didn't do what you just did. Because sometimes doing what you got to do really is more about doing what you want to do and not doing what God wants you to do. 
or what other people are advising you not to do. Come on, somebody. That you know that sometimes that phrase, I just had to do what I had to do, really is a cover for I wasn't hearing it. I didn't care about what you had to say. I just did what I wanted to do. I've been there. I'm sure you've been there too. And Peter goes, I'm going fishing. I got to do what I got to do. I got to make money. I got to feed my family. I got to do what I got to do. Whatever happened with Jesus, that's his deal. Remember now, he's a regular person like you and me. I got to do what I got to do. What about the other perspective is, well, when Jesus was here, that was my life. I get it. I was with him. But then when he started talking about all this death thing and the resurrection thing, I got it, but I didn't get it. And he appeared to us, and that's all cool and all, but I really want to go back to my old life because my old life was real comfortable. I knew how to cast a net. I knew how to push a boat out. I knew how to scale fish. And Jesus took, I, I spent three years with him. And maybe it's time to go back to my old lifestyle because really, I don't know if it's going to make any difference anyway if I move forward now that he's dead. And so his perspective might have been, I just got to go back to my old self because I'm comfortable with my old self. Maybe some of you in here have been through situations where you thought you were on the right track and all of a sudden something deterred you and you defaulted back to your old self. And you said, I'm just going to go back to what I know, back to my old habits, back to what I, I feel comfortable doing. And, and maybe a little bit of Peter's in all of us where we're like, yeah, I feel like I, this was good for a while, but I just got to go back to what's, what, who I really am. You guys ever heard young people say that? I have to discover who I really am. I said that too before to my parents, not in their face, but in my mind, right? You don't understand me. I have to go out there and find out who I really am, right? And so we say that, and that could be a, a mask too of, of saying, well, do you trust others enough to, to give input on who they see you are? Because if you can't do it with others, God has an opinion about who you are, and he says you're his son and daughter. You are created for a reason. You are perfectly and wonderfully made. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He, his opinion counts more than anybody else. Come on, somebody. And if we can't say that in our own hearts, but I just got to figure out who I am. How about we turn to the source that created us in the first place and says, God, who do you say I am? And so Peter has these two options. Either he's saying, I got to do what I got to do, or he's saying, I want to go back to who I was and forget the future. I don't know what his mindset was, but I do know that Jesus knew. And Jesus knew enough that he would walk up to him and, 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 and try and let him know that there's a comeback for him. All is not lost. There is a comeback route for him. Look at verse 4. It says, actually verse 3, it says, I'm going fishing, Peter says. And then check it out. It influences the rest to say, you know what, we're going to go with you too. You know, your decisions don't just affect you. Your, your decisions can affect other people too. Whether or not you believe you're a leader or not, there's people that God has placed around us, whether we're parents or, or we're guardians or we're employers or whatever. There's people around us, if we're in these positions, that look at us and depend on us. And our decisions could affect their decisions too. And on the, the flip end, if you're a follower and you're following somebody and you decide, well, I'm going to follow them wherever they go, you need to apply some sort of critical thinking to that, too, because if they, you know, my parents, I don't know if you ever told me this, Mom. I'm going to make it up right now because maybe you did, and I forgot. But maybe you said, if your friends jump off a bridge, will you jump off a bridge? I mean, I don't know if, if she said that to me, Mom, but if you didn't, you should have. But anyway, I said, yeah, if it's why I made a rock, I would jump off that rock. No, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's followers and leaders. Your decisions are affected or you are affected by other people's decisions. And so Peter goes, I'm going to go fishing. And his friend said, I'm going to go with you, grab our poles, grab our lures. Let's go catch some papillo and a marlin. But anyway, they went out there to go catch a fish. And look what happens in chapter 4. He says, just as day was breaking, or verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, mm-mm. Now think about that picture right now. Like they're fishing. It says in verse 3 that they fished all night. And they caught nothing. And so they've been fishing all night. And here comes this man, unbeknownst to them. Children, did you catch anything? I don't know what tone he said it in. But if anybody called me a child and asked me a question that I was already frustrated about, I would be like, what are you talking about, man? Calling me a kid? I'm a grown man, right? You'd be all offended, wouldn't you? Like, how dare you? We've been trying to get fish all night. And you go, children, did you catch anything? But these guys, for some reason, said, no, we don't have nothing. 
You know, when you look at what he's saying, what he's saying, what Jesus is, is, is really saying to, to Peter and the rest of the crew is, how's that working for you? How is going back to your lifestyle working for you? How is doing what you got to do working for you? And you got to understand, in my mind, I'm thinking Peter spent three years with Christ. He's not a dummy. He knows that he's been through some stuff with Jesus. And I got to assume, based on what I read later on, that as Jesus begins to reveal himself to him, especially this phrase, did you catch anything? Did you catch anything? You have to remind him of the first time Jesus met Peter is when he first called him to be a follower of his when Peter was fishing in Luke chapter 5. And Luke chapter 5 says this. Luke chapter 5 verse 2 says this. After all the nets were cleaned up and all the fishermen have gone, then, he got, then Jesus got into one of the boats. More specifically, he got into Simon Peter's boat. You guys ever had that happen to you? Like you, everything was already cleaned up and done away with and whatnot. And people were like, oh, can I get some more of that? Like, I just put away the thing. I just cleaned it up. What, you want me to go back and open stuff up again? You know, Jesus is doing that to Peter. Peter washed his nets, washed his boat, and then Jesus comes up, walks in his boat, and goes, take me out to sea. I mean, what? That's, that's just a weird scenario. But Peter goes, sure. And he pushes out the boat, it says in verse 4. Uh, verse 4, and it says, when, when Jesus stopped speaking, he told Simon, hey, launch this boat into deep waters so you can let your nets down for a catch. And check it out. Simon Peter answered, said, Master, because he didn't know Jesus at the time. He just said, Master. Pretty much he was saying, teacher, rabbi, master, whatever you want to be called. They didn't know him as Jesus or Lord yet. And so he goes, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. It's almost like saying, Jesus, me fisherman, you carpenter. You guys ever had someone to tell you how to do your job and they're not even competent in that area? I would have been like, Jesus, um, I'm a fisherman. I catch fish for a living. And you are said carpenter. So how about you go and grab your hammer and nails and go build a shelf or something? We toiled all night and we didn't catch nothing. Are you telling us to go back out and fish again? Crazy, crazy, right? But he goes, nevertheless, he pushes his boat out and it goes, Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners on the other boat, come and help us. And they came and filled both nets, both nets on the boat, and they began to sink. And they went from broken nets to sinking boats. You know, Jesus does that. He goes, once your life is empty, but when I enter into your life, I fill you up. I give you all that you need. Come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, God fills our nets. God fills our nets. God fills our nets. Even when we feel like we've been toiling all night, we've been working under our own pressure, our own, our own, uh, our own strength, God fills our nets. And when Simon Peter saw it, he says he fell down at his knees and said to Jesus, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And I got to think, I got to think, flashback to John 21, the post-credit chapter, that when he sees these nets full of fish, he's like, Something is familiar about this story. Something is familiar about this man. And later on, we're going to see John gets it. But you know what I thought too? When Jesus approached this boat, he was on shore. And it says that when they brought the fish back in verse 7, it says, The disciple who Jesus loved, which is John, said, It's the Lord. And Simon Peter heard that. He put on his shirt. Because he was stripped for work, meaning he just didn't want to get messy. He threw himself into the ocean. And he started swimming towards, the, swimming towards his people, towards the shore, towards the man. And then it says the other disciples came in the boat. So it means they ditched the boat and then the rest of the disciples paddled back. Nice job, Peter. He just digs out, right? Digs out and lets the other people pull the boat back. But I love the next verse. He goes, the disciples came dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, but about a hundred yards off. And I want to tell you, when I read this scripture, this is what I see the Lord is, is telling us, that he knew how far he was from the men in the boat, didn't he? He was on the shore, he could see them. But did the men know how far Jesus was from them? You know, sometimes we think Jesus is far off. We're like, where did he go? He said he was going to be with me. He said he was going to be with me to the end of the ages. He said this, and I don't feel him. But can I just tell you, he's not far off. You're not far off. He's right there waiting for you. He's never far off. He's always there. He's omnipresent. He's always there. And I want you to know that he's never far off and you're never far off too. So if you're wondering where is God, he's right here. 
He's right here in the midst of you right now. And he wants to tell you something this morning. You know, when you look at this whole account, I, I think about this. I think about, I think about this. You guys, ever, um, you guys ever look at your life and you, you look at, when I look at Peter's life anyway, I look at the struggle he had trying to go back to his old life. He went back to fishing. He went back to this. And he actually separated himself from his old life previously, but now he's going to go back to his old life. But between him and Jesus, Jesus symbolically is on the shore. Now Peter is on the boat, and there's some sort of separation happening there. But the Lord knew that Peter was, 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 needed separation from just things, you know. And what I mean by that is sometimes we, we, we think that the busier we are, the more God sees our effort. But sometimes God really wants us to separate from, from certain things. And let me just illustrate that point so I can maybe speak to those who, who might not be getting it. Anybody love football in here? Who's, who, who's our football fans? Who's our football fans? All right. I'm going to ask my brother Billy to come up here. Who else loves football? Ryan, come up here, Ryan. I got to get Ryan. Come on, Bills. Come on, Bills. Come on. Let's go. Let's go, brother. Come on. All right. You raise your hand, man. Can you welcome them up here? Welcome these guys up here. All right. So stand right here. You stand right here. You stand right there. Okay. Well, stand right there. No, no, no. You stand right there, too. Stand off the stage. Okay. This is going to be an illustration. So when I used to coach my son's football team, and, uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get competitive pretty soon, okay? So you guys better shake hands because you guys are going to get into trouble pretty soon. But when I was coaching my son's football team, I had my son's coach was a, a former NFL player. He used to play lineman for uh, the UH uh, Warriors. And, um, you know, he would always tell us on, uh, on two sides of the ball, there's things you should know on defense and offense, right? So on defense, you should be aware of leverage. And leverage is, well, don't let anybody get, well, <laughs> leverage is, he was this way when he was younger too, you know, he's just impatient. No, no. So when, when leverage is, there's a sideline here. You don't want anybody to get leverage this way because they're going to blow past you. So you want to crowd the sideline but push everybody in the middle. The leverage is in the middle of the field. You want all the plays to happen in the middle of the field. You get it? Because that's where your help is. That's where everybody's at. So your leverage is on defense having a 45-degree angle to the sideline and not letting anybody get by you, okay? Now, on offense, there's a different, different thing you should be worried about, and that's separation. And what do I mean by that? Well, if a defender's playing you man-to-man, the only way you're going to get the ball is through separation. And in the playbooks, they have a play for this to help you create separation. Now, it's called the comeback route. You guys ever saw a comeback route in the NFL? And it works like this. So here's a defender. You walk over here. Here's the offensive man. So the gist is he don't know that he's going to come back. He thinks he's going to go straight to the end zone. So I tell this guy, I want you to run full speed ahead and turn around real quick. Come back. And I'm going to throw you the ball. So let's walk it out in case you pretend like you don't know because you just heard my play. So you walk back, defend him, backpedal. Okay, let's try it again. Try it again. You got to walk pretty far. Okay. Did you play football, man? No, come here. Okay, right here. Come here. You ready? You walk. You backpedal, 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 and you turn around and come back, right? And see the separation right here? Let's try it again. I want you to go full speed this time. Full speed. I want you to go full speed, okay? Come back over here. Come back over here. Okay, ready? And hut. Go. Full speed. Full speed. That's not full speed. Is that full speed? Come on, man. You're not going to run him over. You're going to come back. You're a comeback route, man. Ready, set, hut. And then turn around. That's not a comeback route. You got to turn around, brother. <laughs> Where's my real illustration, guys? This guy saw it twice already. Let's try it again. You come back. Okay, you come back, and you turn around come back. Ready to go. Turn around. There you go. Okay. So let's try it again, but this time come back this way. Turn this way and come back to me like this, okay? I want to show you something. Ready? You're ready to catch. Okay, ready? Go. Back, back, back. Turn around. Come back. Catch this. There you go. See, the separation, the separation happens. Thank you, guys. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you, guys. The separation happens, and I want you to catch this. The separation happens because you're moving, you're moving. God goes, come back, come back, because I got something for you. You're not going to get it if you just keep on going straight ahead. You guys see what my point is? Because you think, I just got to go full steam ahead, man. I just want to go full steam ahead. And God goes, no, I got a comeback route for you. Because if not, you're going to have the defenders all over you. Because I got something that I need to give you on the way back so you can take it with you to the end zone. And some of us look at our setbacks and go, man, I just took two steps forward and three steps back. I'm not going to do my, what's your name that sang that song? Paul, I have dual impression for you. <laughs> but it's, somebody's like, man, I'm going to, oh, how come I'm coming back? You're like, because I have something for you. I need you to catch what I have for you. 
Otherwise, you're going to bull right over. And that's the comeback route. That God wants to create the separation from what's on you to what he wants to give you. Does that make sense? And if you don't recognize the comeback route, you think it's punishment. You think it's oh, all is lost. You think it's, is this the right way, God? But if you're following God and you, you're in tune with him and you ask him, he may just have you on the comeback route. You know that job you just lost, the job that you just resigned from? Maybe that was a separation God needed you to have. You know that relationship you had that wasn't working out that you wanted to hold on to and it kind of dissolved. You say, why God? Why God? Maybe God has you on a comeback route. Maybe, maybe with, with your friends you used to have and, you, and you're like, why are you calling me anymore? Why, did, why are things happening? Maybe God is, is having you to come back for a comeback route. He wants to deposit in you something that he wants you to take to the end zone. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you this morning. You guys got to hear this, that God wants you to separate and keep some separation from something that's on you. And he's going to use that play called the comeback route to deposit something in you. And Peter's on that comeback route, if you can't tell already, that he went, he, he went back. He went back to his fishing. He went back to his old way. But God goes, that's exactly where I want you because now I can see you and you're not very far off. And now I want you to come back to me so I can deposit something to you. You see the comeback route? Peter thought, man, all is lost, all is done. But God goes, no, this is your comeback route. This is where I got you for, for, for building the church I said I would build upon you. Remember that point in the story where he said, on you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. You remember that? That, that encounter with God? But to understand where Peter's coming from, understand where Peter's coming from, I think we all can understand that it's interesting that it goes on to say in verse 9, after Jesus calls them in, they get back on land. And it says when they got back on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out and bread on it. And again, another sign, the fish and loaves, fish and loaves. you think, man, that's, the Lord is doing his best to get these guys' attention. And then Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you just caught. And so Simon Peter went on the ship and brought the nets full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, check this out, the net was not torn. Isn't that an opposite view of how the first time Jesus encountered Peter, wasn't his nets torn, the first encounter, and now his nets with so much fish aren't torn? I got to believe that when Jesus met Peter the first time, the nets were symbolic of his life. I think the nets were symbolic of whatever I'm about to give you, Peter, your life is tore up. Your life can't handle all I'm about to give you. And that's why you need someone like me to help you mend the nets. And I think in this situation, he goes, now that you've lived with me, Peter, you've walked with me, you've been, through, you've been battle tested, you can handle it. Whatever I'm about to give you, Peter, for your future, you can handle it. Your nets are going to be full and it's not going to break. Turn to somebody and say, you can handle it. Whatever God's going to bring you, you can handle it. Turn them on, touch them on the shoulder and say, you can handle it. Whatever God's going to bring your way, you can handle it. You can handle it. And it says this. Jesus says their nets wasn't torn. In verse 12 it says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who is this guy, right? They're still unsure who this guy is except for John and Simon. But some guys are like, who is this guy? You guys ever been in that place where you're like, you ask. No, you ask. I don't know who this guy is, right? Hey, what's up, man? I mean, they're like that. He goes, they're still trying to figure out who they are. And then Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he ate it with the fish. And this is an important scripture right here that sometimes you might overlook, but it's so important in the story. It says, this was now the third time, the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Why is the third time so significant? I want to talk about the third time. You know, the number three in Bible, and we're not talking about numerology or astrology or anything like that, but when, Jesus, when God uses numbers in the Bible, he uses them for a reason. And the number three, every time you see the number three in the Bible, it represents perfection and completeness. You know, you have the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. You have the, 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 the complete person, mind, body, soul. You have, you have the three states of, 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 you know, liquid, solid, gas. Okay, it's testing. Testing myself, liquid, solid, gas. You got past, present, future. You got height, width, and depth. Anything that has substance to it has basically three parts to it, doesn't it? And so number three it talks about completeness and wholeness. And it's interesting that this is the third time that Jesus appears to Peter, the third time. That he appears to him. Because the number three in Peter's life is very significant too. If you guys know the life of Peter. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. I'll just share with you some of the things that, that are significant in his life that, that had to do with, 
three or the third time. You remember when Jesus said, I have to die. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. It's not going to happen. And then Jesus goes, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. He goes, I'm not going to do that. You're crazy, God. You're crazy, Lord. I'm not going to do that. He goes, okay. Then Jesus goes, well, let's go pray then. Let's go pray in the garden. So they go in the garden. And it says Jesus came back and he found these guys sleeping. He goes, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? Can you just stay up? He went back. He said, just stay up for me. He goes back. A second time he comes back, he's like, hey, you're sleeping again. What's the deal? He goes, stay up. It's important. He goes back. And then a third time he comes back and finds them asleep. He goes, man, what's the deal here? And I remember, and you go back to the, the, the place where he denies Christ three times. It's interesting enough, it's around the fire. It's around a campfire. And right now we're at a fire, and Jesus is about to meet Peter for the third time. And I got to believe that Peter might have thought in his mind that after the first time denying, denying Christ or, or falling asleep on Christ, he thought, man, he must be mad at me. He's never going to trust me again, right? And maybe the time he denied Christ in front of the girl, it says in the end of that encounter that he actually cried. He actually wept because he felt so bad. And you got to think in his mind, man, I let Jesus down a second time. And you got to look at this picture. Twice, two big events in Jesus' life. He, he, Peter must be thinking, I'm done. That's why I'm going back fishing. What would God want to do with me? I have nothing to offer him. But it says Christ appeared to him the third time. You guys, any, any wrestling fans in here? WWF fans? Not WWE. Like Hulk Hogan? Roddy Roddy Piper? Come on, who else? Macho Man Randy Savage? Who else? Ultimate Warrior? You got your hand up over there, little guy? Don't say The Rock because The Rock is still WWE, isn't he? I don't know all the new guys. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Iron Sheik, Andre the Giant, all those old school wrestlers. And you know what I loved about wrestling? Because I think wrestling is such an appropriate picture for this illustration. Wrestling. I remember wrestling and I used to love my, my favorite guy was Ultimate Warrior. Because he had the face paint on. He just looked mean and muscles, right? And I was like 10 years old. I was young. It's like, I want to be like that. I, wanna, I used to tie ribbons and stuff. We used to play wrestling in the front yard. Me and my brother, I would drop kick him and blah, like do all this. And like, remember that time I had a cast on and I put a tarp on the, the, the grass? I said, don't worry. I won't hit you with my cast. And what I did, I had my cast, <laughs> my cast right? We used to, I used to love wrestling. I had the action figures, all that stuff. But I used to watch wrestling all the time. I remember my, when my favorite wrestler got into this uh, fight with Hulk Hogan. And I remember it was wrestling in WrestleMania. And Hulk Hogan got him in some kind of leg lock. And he's like, ah, like, you know how dramatic they are. Ah, and he's like, and he's like passing out from a leg lock. I don't know how you pass out from a leg lock, but he's passing out. And the referee comes to him and goes, one, two, three, ding, 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 ding. It's done. It's done. The third time is done. The third time it's over. Right? I'm like, oh, man, he lost. But what I loved about wrestling is when I watched my favorite wrestler, get put in a submission hold. And then the referee goes, one, two, three. <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh, he, he's, he's alive. Yes, like, you know, boom. boom. It's like throwing him down and he pins the guy and then there's life left out to the warrior and he wins the match. Come on, somebody, right? And I got to think, Peter is on that. Oh, man, I denied Christ. One, oh, man. I fell asleep. Two. And out the fire. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. I love you. Do you love me more than these? Yes, I do. There's life left in you, Peter. Life enough to do what I need you to do. Come on, somebody. That is where life is at. On the third try, Peter goes, I still got life. Jesus goes, on the third encounter with you, you still got life. On the other three encounters, yeah, maybe you felt down and out, but there is still life in you. And I pray that you are in this place because God goes, if this is your first time, your second time. This might be your third time, but symbolically, if you're given God, if you're given up on God, let me tell you, God hasn't given up on you. God hasn't given up on you. And even if at times life throws you into submission holds, and at times you're like, I'm not good enough. 
People say I'm just junk. Oh, I just disappoint people. Oh, I'm just done already. But don't give up because the next time I be, well, you know what? I don't have it all together. I'm not the perfect person. And, but you know what? God says there's still life in me. God still says I can take that step. I'm not perfect, but I can move forward. Amen? And we all have life left in us. And just like those wrestlers, we're not over until the bell rings. We always have life in us. And I pray that you would have the spirit of a wrestler. It says, I'm not done. Not like nowadays. And may you tap out or you go to sleep. So it's different, right? That's the real stuff. But life can throw its submission moves on you. I believe Peter was caught up in a submission move too. But God said, the third time is the perfect time. The third time is the right time for you to come back. Because he goes, Peter, in verse 15, do you love me more than these? One time. Peter, do you love me more than these? Two times. Peter, do you love me more than these? Three times. Around the fire where he denied Christ three times, Jesus restores him three times. You love me, you love me, you love me. And what does he say at the end? Come follow me. And the rest is history. The book of Acts, First and Second Peter, he goes on to write that God is a gracious God. You know, when you think about First and Second Peter, I want you to, you know, God, how do I say this? God will meet you on your turf, but not on your terms. God will meet you on your turf, but not on your terms. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes you want to put conditions on God. And God is big enough to handle that. I'm not speaking for him. I'm not pretending to speak for him. But I know in my life that God has met me in my fishing boat. But God did all the directing on how I need to paddle back and get to shore. And how I need to drop my nets. You see, sometimes we flip it. We flip the script. God, meet me on my turf and meet me on my terms. You know, God's terms are always the best, I think. God's ways are always the best ways. And when we think at any part of our life that we have better terms, I would suggest you to think twice. Because check this out. Peter wrote this in his book, 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with God one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count a slowness. But check this out. But he's patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And I got to think, Peter, out of that experience, wrote that, like, God was patient enough to me to let me go back and fish, but he was patient enough to me, patient enough for me to know that I needed that separation, and patient enough for me to know that after one time, after two times, on the third time, there's still life in me, there's still opportunity in me. There's still purpose in me. There's still destiny in me. And I want to say that to you too. God still has a destiny and a purpose for all of you. And no matter where you come from or where you've been, God has a comeback route for you. Amen. I want to show you this video as we end our Easter, our Resurrection Sunday. Because the resurrection is the ultimate comeback route, isn't it? The enemy thought Friday, Saturday, but Sunday. There's still life left in the tomb. There's still life left in this risen Savior. There's still life left in the Son, of, the, the Son of God. There's still life in that tomb. And now we can prosper because of that life. And his name is Jesus. Amen. And he still works today like he worked thousands of years ago. As evidence, yes, as evidence in this video, I'm going to show a view of this young man you may have seen up here during a little demonstration. He has a comeback story that I want to show you this morning. So sit back, watch the screen, and I'll be back up after the video. So my name is Ryan Walker, I'm 27 years old. Um, I'm originally from Franklin, North Carolina. So I was uh, living in Okinawa, Japan, 98, 99, and uh, my dad got worse. Military in 2010, and I went back to North Carolina. Um, you know, at this point, my addiction was so over the top and ridiculous. You know, I was selling drugs, but I was just selling basically to sustain my habit. And uh, 2011. 
me and my older brother were driving, and I had a pretty large quantity of drugs on me. And the way my thinking was at the time, because I was, you know, I was, I was so messed up in the head, was I'd rather eat everything that I had rather than take a chance at getting busted and going to jail. So I ate them and ended up overdosing. And that was the second time I overdosed, but this one in particular was was really hard because uh, my heart stopped twice and I was in ICU for six days. So at that point, that that was really the uh, the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, you know. And I made a decision to go back to Hawaii because I heard about this program, Yellow's Vets, that helped veterans, you know, with uh, disabilities, which I had PTSD from the military and drug addiction and stuff like that. So.
times it was when I was going to work, or in the middle of work, things did get better. Isn't that a great story? I mean, it's unreal how God used... Those two are in our church right now, out there, you can see them in the flesh. They're real people. That God took Ryan on his comeback route. He used LaHella as a quarterback to deposit something, and then he used Will to get him to the goal line. Isn't that awesome? He, He orchestrated in three what he wanted to do in the end, and there's perfection and completeness in that, so... Hold fast, brothers and sisters, that God is closer than you think. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you, Lord, this morning. We give you this time of worship, this time of hearing your word, God. And we know that like the life of Peter, God, that life isn't always smooth sailing or it doesn't always turn out the way we think it should, God. And when life sometimes sneaks up upon us or it's in our face and it puts us in these positions where we can either submit or tap out or go to sleep, God. I thank you, Lord, that there's always a way out with you. God, just like with Ryan on that video, he said that he overdosed twice and maybe the third time would have been his way out of this world. But God, on the third time, you allowed Ryan to meet Lahela. And then Ryan to meet Will, and in concert, a lost son came home. And in the process, Ryan was able to invite Lahela to church, and now they're all here, the three of them. Completion, how God works in our lives. That He wants to see us. He has patience for us that none shall perish. And so I want to just encourage you this morning, before you leave here, if any one of you in here has never given heart to God, has never said, Lord, come into my life, forgive me my sins, now is the time. Maybe this is your comeback route. Maybe this is the route God has you on. You feel like, why did I come back this morning? Or why am I here? Or what's this all about? Maybe God is saying, would you let me? Just deposit to you because the goal is there. The end goal is there. But would you, on this comeback route, open up your heart and receive what I have for you so that I can get you to where you got to go. So all we do here at 
Freedom Church is there's no magic prayer. There's no hocus pocus. It's a sincerity of heart. But we voice it with our prayer by saying, God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. And I want to invite you into my life. And that's it. And so on a count of three, I'm going to count to three. If anyone in here wants to say that simple prayer of the heart, would you raise your hand and I will pray with you this morning and you can start a life of your comeback route. So if that's you, would you do so and respond this morning? One, two, three. Anyone in here looking around? Okay, let me ask you this question. If anyone in here, maybe you're on that route and you're not sure if you should give up or if you should turn back or if you should go back to your old ways or if you're willing to take a step forward in your thinking to invite a new way of looking at life, a new way of looking at people. Maybe your old life is holding you back from experiencing all that God has for you. Maybe... There's something in your past that's holding you back. And God is saying, trust me, I'm with you. Open yourself up to this new thing I'm doing in your life. If that's you, would you raise your hand on the count of three? I want to pray with you before you leave. That you would just trust God in this new season. That even though it's scary, God is closer than you think. Here we go. One, two, three. Anyone in here? Okay, I see hands all over. Good. God, for the hands that are up right now, Lord, I ask you, whatever season of life they're in, that you would just reassure them that you're closer than they think. And that this route you have them on, God, is not, even though it may seem scary in the physical sense, God, behind the scenes you're working all things for good. And that they can trust you, God, because you've proven yourself time and time again in the lives of others and throughout history, God. So, Lord, would you just take our mustard seed size faith and say, God, whatever our faith we can bring to you, would you multiply it and grow it, God? So, Lord, would you take us on our journey this morning? Allow us to, to believe that the best is yet to come. And God, never, never let us count ourselves out or let the enemy tell us that we're done because we're not done. It's never over till it's over, God. And you're always the God of the comeback route. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, and we all say amen, amen. Have a great weekend, guys.